1: Tensions between Iran and Israel rise. A criminal group is spoofing emails from Philippine agencies. A new ransomware strain is discovered. Europol and partners sweep up a cyber gang. Betsy Carmelite from BAH on convergence of 5G and healthcare. Our guest is Justin Ray from Core BTS with a look at the security issues facing online gaming and casinos. And the company formerly known as Facebook rebrands as Meta. CyberWire studios at Datatribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, October 29th, 2021. Iranian news services are calling the incident that disrupted subsidized fuel distribution in Iran as an Israeli cyber attack. Ashark al Aksat reports that officials intend to release results of their investigation within a few days. In the meantime, Tehran has retaliated by doxing Israeli defense minister Benny Gantz and a number of Israeli soldiers. The Jerusalem Post says the doxing was accomplished by a threat actor calling itself Moses Staff, and the Tehran Times suggests that more will be heard from Moses staff as tension between Israel and Iran rises. Haretz reports that Moses' staff has also obtained Israeli troop deployment information. The members of Moses' staff are generally believed to be Iranian nationals. The group posted a warning to Defense Minister Gantz on its site, quote, We know every decision you make and will hit you where you least expect it. We have secret defense ministry documents, operational military maps, and troop deployment information, and will publish your crimes to the world, end quote. Attribution in these cases is always difficult, particularly when the groups involved represent themselves as hacktivists. The case for Israeli involvement in the gasoline distribution hack is, absent the promised report of Tehran's investigation, so far a matter of a priori possibility. Similarly, it's not clear who Moses' staff may be or to whom they answer. Morphisec has released research into a new ransomware strain they're calling Decaf. It's noteworthy for its use of the Go language, increasingly popular among cybercriminals. Babuk, Hive, and Hello Kitty are other ransomware tools written in Golang. Decaf appeared in September, and its development has continued into this month. Morphisec writes, quote, The development of Decaf continues to this day, showing that ransomware groups constantly innovate their attacks— That the attack is written in Golang is further proof of this trend toward innovation among the adversary community. Threat actors are forever making changes and adding new capabilities to evade the detection-centric solutions that predominate in the market. Proofpoint has identified a new criminal threat actor, tracked as TA-2722, that impersonates agencies of the Philippine government in phishing operations, designed to distribute REMCOS and nanocore remote-access Trojans. TA-2722 targets shipping, logistics, manufacturing, business services, pharmaceutical companies, and energy providers. Victims have been found in North America, Europe, and Southeast Asia. ZDNet points out that the target selection poses a risk to already stressed supply chains – that's physical supply chains, not necessarily software supply chains – It's worth recalling that delays and disruptions to the delivery of tangible goods has become a global problem, and anything that meddles with business or production systems is bound to make a difficult situation all the more challenging. A link in one such supply chain, disrupted last Friday by what's generally believed to be ransomware, seems now to be on its way to recovery. The Green Bay Press-Gazette reports that Schreiber Foods has recovered sufficiently from the cyber incident it sustained to resume plant operations. The company announced Wednesday that it had resumed taking delivery of milk, Schreiber produces dairy products, and is now back in production and shipping product to its customers. ZDNet says that Schreiber began to bring its plants back online Monday. The company has so far been tight-lipped about the specific nature of the cyber incident. CISA has issued a fresh set of industrial control system security advisories. There are three of them. Sensormatic Electronics LLC, a subsidiary of Johnson Controls, has fixed hard-coded credentials in its Victor product. Mitsubishi Electric has taken care of an uncontrolled resource consumption problem in its MELSEC IQR Series C controller module, R12CCPU-V, And Delta Electronics has addressed a stack-based buffer overflow vulnerability in its DopSoft HMI product. Europol today announced that it has targeted 12 individuals in Switzerland and Ukraine whom it believes are responsible for a range of cybercrimes that represented a dangerous combination of aggressive disruption and high-stakes targets. The criminals' activities were complex, and Europol sums them up like this. Quote, The targeted suspects all had different roles in these professional, highly organized criminal organizations. Some of these criminals were dealing with the penetration effort, using multiple mechanisms to compromise IT networks, including brute force attacks, SQL injections, stolen credentials, and phishing emails with malicious attachments. Once on the network, some of these cyber actors would focus on moving laterally, deploying malware such as TrickBot or post-exploitation frameworks such as Cobalt Strike or PowerShell Empire to stay undetected and gain further access. The criminals would then lay undetected in the compromised systems, sometimes for months, probing for more weaknesses in the IT networks before moving on to monetizing the infection by deploying a ransomware. These cyber actors are known to have deployed Locker Goga. Megacortex, and Dharma ransomware, among others, End quote. Europol credits an international cooperative effort for the success of the enforcement operation.
2: Listen to them, children of the night, what music
0: they make.
1: The moon wasn't full when the shape-shifting took place. Our lunar desk tells us it was in the last quarter, right between a waning gibbous and a waning crescent, but there was still some shape-shifting reported. Okay, okay, thank you, wolves. Down, boys. Good girls. Please take it back to Borga Pass. But this isn't about the children of the night. It's about the children of the social network. And the shape-shifting was of the rebranding variety as opposed to the lycanthropic kind. And it's not Borga Pass either, but rather Menlo Park. And the company formerly known as Facebook has announced that it will henceforth be known as Meta. A founder's letter says that the House of Zuckerberg is betting on the Metaverse, a neologism that refers to an immersive experience in which people will live significant parts of their lives in virtual contact with others. Facebook is officially all-in on the Metaverse, and... While Mr. Zuckerberg explains that the metaverse won't be built by one company, but Facebook, I'm sorry, Meta, will play a major role in shaping it. Reaction to the rebranding is cautiously mixed. There are the usual observations that Meta is a naughty word in some languages, of course. Wired says that companies typically rebrand for three reasons— new business ambitions, a new corporate organization, or an attempt to distance themselves from a name with bad associations. The piece argues that Facebook's conversion to meta has aspects of all three. The drums roundup of industry reaction is also mixed, with some seeing the renaming as the bold planting of a flag in new technological territory, and others seeing as just a PR-conscious reactionary move. And the metaverse itself has come in for its own share of skepticism, the next phase of human evolution, or just Fortnite on steroids. Anywho, trading begins on December 1st under the new ticker symbol MBRS. Take it away, wolves! So you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. If you've watched any televised sports this season, you most certainly have seen the proliferation of ads for online sports betting platforms, gaming apps as they refer to them. Justin Ray is Director of Operations for Security at Core BTS, and he joins us with insights on the security considerations
2: of gaming platforms shifting online. When we talk about gaming in general and and really online gaming in particular, You know, there are a whole lot of different things to consider from a security perspective. But I think one of the things that's definitely unique, and and this isn't the only industry that has some unique aspects, but one of the things that is unique about the gaming industry is that they really have these two different areas within the organization. You know, you have the actual gaming platforms. And when we're talking about online gaming, you have the sites that users are interacting with you have uh, people who are not physically you know at a location that you control that are interacting with your organization but you still have all of the corporate you know back office aspect as well so there's still you know payroll and customer service representatives and you know sales teams that are you know you have all that normal corporate business and, and corporate technology and networking involved as well but It's an area where, you know, certainly when you think about the security connotation, um, from an adversary perspective, certainly focus, right? You you have Hmm. the gaming platforms themselves that, um, you know, are are publicly available.
1: And how does this compare, you know, to a physical casino where people may go to enjoy gaming? It strikes me that, uh, you know, with the casino, we always see these movies where they have the eye in the sky and they keep a, a physical eye on people who may be trying to uh, you know, advantage things to themselves in an unfair way. Do online uh, gaming
2: platforms face similar issues? I think that's one of the most important aspects. When you think about a casino, and specifically when you think about casino security, right, you think of the person at the door checking IDs and to your point, cameras that are monitoring all the activity. And of course, when you think about a compromise of a casino, you tend to think of something like Ocean's Eleven, right? They're going to come in and they're mm-hmm. going to get into the vault. And Unfortunately, right, you know, there's been a lot of focus and dedication over time in the, you know, casino industry and the gaming industry on physical security. And what we're not necessarily seeing evolve as rapidly is is the cybersecurity aspect, right? You've had to rapidly go towards this online paradigm, but the security hasn't necessarily kind of kept at pace. And so I think this is a, a one of the, like I said, the most important aspects here is that just like a casino would want to physically protect the you know the casino from somebody coming in and causing them harm they need to take that same mentality and apply it to the kind of online digital world as well and so there's absolutely that aspect and there's certainly you know things a- around you know let's say cheating for example i mean it has to be top mm-hmm. of mind for a- an online gaming organization certainly different than other industries but of course again that's not the only thing they need to be concerned about the other security risks You know, things like ransomware attacks, et cetera, I mean, just as easily can plague a online gaming organization. So they really have to take that security focus and, again, apply it towards the gaming aspect in particular, things like anti-cheating, but also to the kind of just general technology and, and interconnected world we live in.
1: You know, we're definitely in the midst of an advertising blitz as these organizations try to stake their claim and carve out their market share. What is a consumer to do to have confidence that they're going to be working with a platform that has their back, that has security covered? Are there, are there any things they should be looking for?
2: That's a great point, and it's one of those areas that you know security is a shared responsibility. And so, while there is absolutely a responsibility on the casino themselves to obviously secure their infrastructure, you know users have a responsibility to share, to, to secure themselves also, right? And the thing that comes top of mind to me is things like account, you know, credentials and and, and management there. So. Uh, I would say that, you know, when you're looking at the different platforms, you're right, there are a lot of options. Uh, and certainly you can look at, you know, who's regulating them? You know, are they compliant with various uh, security standards? And and oftentimes they will, you know, publish that in some fine print, uh, you know, what the, the casino website or organization will kind of make that available to some extent. But just, again, basic things like, you know, does the site offer multi-factor authentication? And if it does, you as a your know, subscriber, as a user, should be, you know, using multi-factor authentication. The casino can protect their infrastructure all day long, but if your credentials are, you know, compromised and somebody logs in as you, you know, then the casino is not going to know that you're not the one, you know, completing that uh, withdrawal or whatever the case might be.
1: That's Justin Ray from Core BTS. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you get access to this and many more extended interviews. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers... That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Betsy Carmelite. She is a senior associate at Booz Allen Hamilton. Betsy, it is always great to have you back. Now, you and I recently talked about uh, 5G security and zero trust, and I was—I want to sort of continue along that line of conversation, but really focus on healthcare today and how healthcare is converging with 5G as well. What can you share with us?
0: When you turn to 5G and its convergence with healthcare, we really need to start talking about its impact on an industry that was forced to embrace the transformation of healthcare delivery during the pandemic specifically telemedicine adoption so what could hmm. 5g mean for healthcare and addressing vulnerabilities in healthcare moving forward that comes comes along with that transformation to start it really revolutionizes global communications and the connections across secure connected health, um, physical devices, and the digital world. And secondly, we are imagining that 5G will accelerate secure connected health because of its near real-time interactivity, the expanding internet of medical things. Um, Here's a thought. By 2023, it's estimated that there will be three times more networked devices than humans on Earth. And... Hmm. And 5G has an ability to facilitate AI-enabled healthcare to protect patient data as well. We're looking at um, 5G's advancements in network slicing. And what we mean by that is when multiple dedicated networks are layered on top of a common shared physical infrastructure, keeping data sets private and, and separate from each other.
1: Can you give me some specific examples of of how 5G is, is going to enhance healthcare?
0: So we have a few scenarios to think about. Um, first, real-time complete patient monitoring in hospitals. And then once patients go home, so without the restrictions on data streaming that 5G will offer, um, so we mentioned, you know, the greater bandwidth and, and lower latency, hospitals could adopt all source patient sensors and personalize automated treatment plans from data outputs. And patients could remain under the care of the hospital team once they go home. Hmm. Secondly, 5G will extend and expand the reach of remote surgical capability interventions to meet urgent needs. So think telesurgical robot platforms capable of being staged further forward, like at a military operating base. And Hmm. 5G will also fix network-imposed limitations of Telerobotic surgery, such as signal delay. And finally, the ability to have the majority of your healthcare provider services offered in the comfort of your own home with the combination of 5G, AI, edge commuting capabilities. The benefits for those in remote areas could be really extending world class hospital like care into rural areas, remote areas with services like mobile intensive care units and full labs for at-home diagnostics.
1: Hmm. What about the security implications here? Are there concerns on that side of things?
0: Yeah, to to keep this healthcare ecosystem secure and resilient in its entirety, because this is really an ecosystem, we need to think about more robust security to leverage the benefits of 5G. So we're talking about... Um, Labs, healthcare delivery providers, device manufacturers, and healthcare organizations all coming together. And this is that internet of medical things I mentioned before. It's all connected and the proliferation of connected devices and data presents threat actors with new opportunities to disrupt public health and safety. So there are three pillars that that we believe are important to building a cyber-resilient 5G healthcare ecosystem. First, the healthcare community should follow industry developments closely and prepare to integrate the new technology. I mentioned in an earlier segment on 5G that now is the time to prepare to secure the 5G ecosystem while it's in its development. And this is really critical for healthcare and the healthcare sector to be participating in standards working groups to provide the requirements that it needs before the standards are set. So this is being proactive and maintaining awareness of, of 5G developments. And secondly, back to the connected theme, applying integrated cybersecurity and privacy solutions are critical to securing PHI, sensitive health information, critical healthcare operations. The applying zero trust here, specifically around least privilege access concepts, And and implementing data rights management and encryption are really important. We we see integrating patient-focused solutions with the network hardware and software needed to support mission and business priorities. So looking at that user experience and, and putting data privacy at the heart of it. And thirdly, healthcare delivery organizations can proactively counter sophisticated network threats by modernizing and implementing advanced architectures We do recommend working with partners who have a deep understanding of network threats to build hardened infrastructures protecting against both legacy and 5G vulnerabilities as they move to adopt 5G. It's always important to understand where where your legacy systems and data might have weaknesses. We also recommend designing an infrastructure that incorporates new 5G-based resiliency techniques to protect against failure. And then we also recommend implementing strict access controls and data protection techniques to protect patients' most sensitive information.
1: All right. Well, lots to unpack there. Thank you for helping us understand it. Betsy Carmelite, thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks again, Dave.
1: And that's The CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. If you're looking for something to do this weekend, be sure to check out our episode of Research Saturday and my conversation with Tudor Dimitris from the University of Maryland on their research when malware changed its mind, an empirical study of variable program behaviors in the real world. That's Research Saturday. Do check it out. The Cyberwire Podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Filecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here. Next week, hey, listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K Cyberwire network